Want to help keep the lights on in Anarchy Basement? Then go to PRLfans.com. There you can find links to Patreon, PayPal, our Bitcoin info, and other ways to help support the podcast. Now, enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Matt Bergman, and you're listening to the Punk Rock Libertarians podcast, episode 315. I'm here tonight with none other than Jared Schneiderjew. Hey, guys. We've got Kyle Wagner. Hey, everybody. We've got James motherfucking Babs. Yo. And we've got Jake McCauley. Howdy. Yeah. Thanks for, thanks for coming on, guys, man. Um, I, think, I think we're going to have a lot of fun. We've got a lot of uh, timely topical topics um, planned. Now, number one, I, I think, is uh, this is very interesting. This is uh, Ryan Teeter, right? Benjamin Ryan Teeter. And, you know, this is a guy that, uh, you know, he, he was kind of getting well-known amongst the libertarian uh, community, like Facebook community, right? Okay. Yeah, so, like, uh, I, I remember, like, a few months back, I, I, I think I saw, like, uh, like multiple articles of him standing in a uh, North Carolina Starbucks or something, and uh, he had a mask on like an AR-15 and he just like look cool you know and he like it was, it was a picture that captivated a lot of people and I think this was kind of like uh, oh look a boogaloo boy right and uh, you know uh, Jake Jake knows like a little bit about this Jake like what, what what's the story like what are, what are they saying about Benjamin Ryan Teeter so he had at least for many months going to protests and such uh, with various friends, you know, wearing Hawaiians, carrying rifles. And, uh, you know, he'd, he'd gone to one, I believe, in Minneapolis, where beforehand he recorded a video uh, where it's him and his boy in the car, I think, armed. And they said, we're going to the protest. We're going to be there to defend protesters. If police start shooting at protesters, we will shoot back. And uh, he had been seen walking around Minneapolis with a rifle. Uh, the story is that somebody brought this to the FBI's attention, although he had he had already been on their radar prior to that, uh, following some getting some notoriety, you know, being involved in uh, protest related stuff for a while and putting his face kind of everywhere. Um, his face had become kind of synonymous with Boog. He became fairly high profile in that world. And so the story is, as officially presented, and I'm assuming there's a lot of elements to this that may not be true or are either outright lies or exaggerations by the federal government, I don't know. But the story is that uh, Benjamin Ryan Teeter and his friend, whose name I'm drawing a blank on, um, that they had come into contact. Michael Robert Solomon. Yes. Thank you. Um, that they had come into contact with an undercover FBI agent and uh, that the undercover FBI agent was posing as a member of Hamas, which is the, you know, the counter-Israeli organization in Palestinian territories that in, in some respects controls like Gaza and such and has a history of sending suicide bombers and rockets and so forth into Israeli civilian populations, such as Tel Aviv and Haifa. 
So there was a, uh, a guy, a FBI guy, posing as a Hamas guy who was uh, weaved his way into Benjamin Ryan Teeter and Robert Solomon's world and was talking to them about uh, potentially working together, right? Like Hamas and Boog Boys, enemy of my enemy is my friend kind of thing. Well, hey, let, let, me, let me interject for a second. So a couple things don't make sense about the story off the top, right? Because doesn't Hamas, like, aren't they famous for hating gay people? I have never heard of them hating gay people, but they are an Islamist organization, so it's probably a safe bet. Yeah, so th that doesn't smell quite kosher. Wait, and why? Then, Which is he gay? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Benjamin Robert or Ryan Teeter is, is a gay dude. He he loves the D. Jared, I don't even know if, like, in his mind, if they would have known that. Uh, well, it just wouldn't have been relevant. They probably sounds still like an, been... a classic FBI manufacturing a terrorist plot exactly. again. FBI foils. There's FBI a knucklehead. We found plot. some knuckleheads. We it found some well knuckleheads. Let's tell them Hamas wants to make a deal with them. They'll. Uh, oh, cool, dude. Yeah, Hamas. You know. Next thing you know, we've got ourselves another Timothy McVeigh, or you know, like. This is how they manufacture a, a role for themselves. Like they can't actually go after actual dangerous people. So they're going to take, you know, probably like just <coughs> normal anti-government people and try to construct some kind of crime for them. Fuck them. So, so Jake, let's, let's take it off from, from where we stopped it. And yeah. So they were negotiating with uh, Benjamin Ryan Teeter and Robert Solomon <laughs> Um, in theory, allegedly, they had agreed, uh, Benjamin and Robert had agreed to carry out some terroristic acts for Hamas in exchange for money to fund the Boog. And, then and I think one of the funny things about that is, like, uh, apparently one of these terrorist acts was to attack um, some sort of white supremacist organization. Yeah. But one of the media's narratives about the Boogaloo, Boogaloo Boys is that they are white supremacists. So... I mean, this all doesn't really make sense, right? Only yeah, in 2020 media can they maintain both of those uh, narratives simultaneously, right? <laughs> there, they will be like, Boog Boys hate gay people and they're racist. Oh, these Boog Boys were gay and they're working with Hamas. Wait a minute. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> so, uh, so, in theory, the FBI guys... Uh, apparently there was two FBI people. One was presented as a Hamas superior. They got Benjamin and Robert to manufacture and deliver uh, five silencers, five unserialized silencers, and a drop-in auto-seer. And, you know, that's the material. We gotcha. Some silencers and what? Five silencers and a drop-in auto-seer. Uh, what is that? A drop-in auto-seer is a small device that you would drop into the lower receiver of an AR-15 that, while it's dropped in there, makes it act like an M16, full auto. Okay. Until you remove it. You can actually, you can 3D print one, you can make yeah, it out so of Yeah, so like if Hamas were to get these things, finally Israel would be on the ropes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the idea that they would have been asking for five silence. I mean, if it was me, I would have said, oh, these are undercover agents, five silencers. Yeah. Like, and a like seriously, the, what they should have been like, look, we need 5,000 RPGs. You know, we need, you know, like we right. need tons these, of explosives. We need these big boy guys just not very bright. I mean, it just does seem like you've got to be an idiot to fall for this trap. Well, that's how the FBI operates. They look for they look for people right. that aren't. I'm that just curious because all, no, all we know is what we is the information we've been presented. You haven't. I thought I, I thought you guys Ryan met was the, dumb. 
I I kind of knew him to some extent. Well, yeah, like uh, this dude was actually apparently at Entercon. Yeah. That was like, what, a month ago? Yeah. I had a guy guy come to our Ron Paul. We had this meetup group called Ron Paul Revolutionaries in Valley Forge. And we had this guy show up. And he said, yeah, he he was in the military. um, And on the side, he's a diamond smuggler. And... (laughs) we were talking about 3d printing is like, Hey, can we get you guys? Can I, could you help me maybe 3d print some claymore mines? You know, like, and, and like, I, I, like really? Like I have a feeling that this was a guy who was like, like an early reconnaissance to just to figure out, just to go see if there's any, any dumb fucks that they can trap, you know, in this group. And they just go out and, 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 and I mean, that's, that's their FBI job. That's how they're protecting America is going to find dumbass rednecks, right. And trying to trick them into committing some kind of like serious federal crime. And so they can build pad their resumes. Yeah. This, this uh, article says uh, in an audio recording gathered by the FBI, Solomon and Teeter expressed their desire to become mercenaries for Hamas to generate money for the Boogaloo boys. They said they needed money to recruit members and buy land for a Boogaloo training compound. Um, they told uh, the member about their ideas of uh, overthrowing the government, destroying monuments, targeting North Carolina politicians and members of the media. Dude, imagine a boot camp where it's just all Boog boys in like fucking Hawaiian shirts and shit. <laughs> like, you got um, some like guy in a Hawaiian shirt just screaming at all the rest of them like, yeah, that out and give me 20. That recording sounds uh, like they're in a hell of a lot of trouble. So I guess we'll see what happens. But, you know, but like that's a description that like the government like PR department came out with, right? Like yeah. who knows what the actual facts of the case are? You know, they could have been like, hey, we're from Hamas. We're having a big party. Can you guys come down? And they're like, <laughs> sure, dude. You know, like, and then that's how they spin it. You know, like mm-hmm. suddenly this was a, a it was going to be a weapons deal. They thought they were getting, I, they thought they were getting hummus. <laughs> yeah, is it free hummus? <laughs> I brought the chips, guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all I, I, I it's know gonna is, come out at the trial, though. I mean, it, it will. The, the jurors will have to listen. No, to it won't. Recording. No, it won't, because the trials don't work that way. The trials are designed to conceal the truth and and keep the jury in the dark, not to expose the truth. So, the narrative that they want out will be what the jury hears. That's how they operate. So I'm, I feel, I hope those guys get some kind of justice, but it's pretty freaking rare. So is it, is it implausible to you that they actually said these things? No, no, it's possible, but it's all, it's also possible that this is just wildly exaggerated everything. I mean, if you came to like a, like if you sat down with me and my friends at the bar and, and wrote down the shit that we said, okay. The stuff that we would, you know, the 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 operations we're planning over beers that we're luckily way too chicken shit to ever <laughs> like implement, right? But you know, it's pretty normal conversations to discuss, um, you know, resistance to you know to the to the opposition, you know, to the tyranny that we face. Um, it's really be really easy to take any of these conversations and paint them as like you're some kind of ser- like freaking terrorist monster. Hmm. In my experience, police are very quick to either outright fabricate things that you said or greatly exaggerate them or horribly paraphrase them. 
Yeah. yeah or, or just flat out, just, just write out their own narrative of what you said. That's why it's important to never talk to cops because once you have a conversation, they can say you said stuff. But if you never had a conversation, it's a lot harder for them to fabricate what you said when you didn't say anything. Yeah, I, I watch a lot of crime shows and they're always like, you know, they kind of read the rights and then they kind of they gloss over that part. And then they're like, well, now what? This is your chance to tell me in your words what happened, you know, and the suspects always just start spouting off. They never ask for a lawyer and they make they make the bust most of the time. Of course, you know, uh, they're usually guilty, so I don't have too much sympathy for them. But uh, I, I'm not dismissing what you, your guys perspe pers um, perspective on it. I think it is possible that these this story is uh, somewhat fabricated or embellished and that um, these guys are sort of being set up. But I also think it's possible that they they actually did engage in this kind of thing um, and, and we're looking to take this thing to the next level. I don't but, I hope that's know, not true five with five silencers. I mean, you know, no, I think that was yeah. for Hamas and they were hoping to get money. Well, you know, like, I remember, uh, like, a few years back in Baltimore, okay, so this is probably, like, fucking, like, maybe, like, seven or eight years ago, I'm thinking, there was this, uh, this, like, young, uh, sounded like a teenage boy, he was pretty impressionable, and he was recruited by some FBI agents who were um, pretending to be, like, uh, terrorists on the internet, and they got this boy to go into the parking lot of a uh, military recruitment place, and he he got in this car and he supposedly um, pressed a button to detonate a bomb. At least that's what the kid thought that he was doing, but he he really wasn't doing that. It was just like the FBI, you know, invited him to go there and do that. And then they were like, "Boom, we caught a terrorist," you know. And it, it seemed like this boy was just like a retard. And he probably, probably told him it was like a candy dispenser or something. Well, I mean, I don't know, but I mean, it's it's like that's how they build out. their careers. That's so what being a career FBI agent is all about: is coming up with little setups like that, one after the other, that shows that you you know these are you know look the the war on terror we're winning we're doing we're you know this is what you pay me for promote me to the next level of FBI dude, you know, like you get closer and closer to cigarette smoking man, you know, as you <laughs> yeah. work your way up. Smoking man. Yeah, dude. Good reference. I have a, uh, a theory as to why what happened with uh, Benjamin and Robert happened. So it, Benjamin at least was fairly high profile. Like as far as the Boog movement goes, you know, people knew his face and his face was synonymous with Boogaloo. People see him, it's probably in a Hawaiian with a rifle. I think him being high profile like that is why they targeted him. And I think the fact that they used an undercover is very deliberate. This is putting on my tinfoil hat a little bit here. This is very advantageous to the FBI with their interest being to quell and suppress the boob movement at large and any similar kind of movement of uh, sedition or anything along those lines. You mean because to make an example out of him? Not just make an example out of him, but make people scared to organize, scared to network, scared of each other because everyone's a fed. Mm. Oh, right to get people like get people suspicious of, of one another, which is a big part of their, which is really easy for them to do. Make people want to stay way they, the hell away from anything boog related, not go network with people, not go, you know, join yeah. militias. 
Yeah, from their perspective, it would be consistent with their. Kyle Wagner, personally. What's that? I said I I would watch what I'm saying to Kyle Kyle, Wagner personally. I'm not a plant. No. Um, Kyle, Kyle, can can you say for everybody, I am not a Fed. I am not a Fed. From (laughs) from the. But you would. I mean, but if you see somebody breaking the law, you would call the FBI and report them immediately. For instance, not paying their taxes or. No, I I would call an illegal firearm. No, it would really depend on the crime, and I wouldn't call the feds. I would call the the police, the local police, um, which I've had, I, I have had what to if, do uh, uh, just a handful of times in my lifetime. I saw. What if you discovered I wasn't paying my federal income tax? I wouldn't do anything. I, I don't care. Um, so yeah, what I was going to say is, like, from the perspective of the FBI, they they do see maybe they have the Boogaloo movement listed as a domestic threat or anti-government threat and oh, they it's got not it's not hard to imagine they just target the most the most high profile members or the, the people they it's like who's the leader of this thing who's you know who's the face of this thing let's go after that guy it's not rocket science right you know they they're do gonna go often, after that yeah guy. they want to know who's in charge but so you're saying this guy was that high profile okay i didn't i well, didn't realize he was but by no high means high. in charge it's it's a fully no, decentralized movement and those who are used to the statist framework of how things operate don't seem to be able to comprehend what a well, decentralized so to, movement so is so the way the right. article so to is them written, to them he's a leader to the <laughs> like well, well, you know, he's you know, high profile or high profile for that movement. Right. And I, I didn't even know of the guy. I'm just going by what Jake said, which is that this guy's face was synonymous with the Boogaloo movement, you know. At least yeah. he had been his face had been present in, an, you know, like uh, CNN did a Boog related article with his face on. It. Right. Uh, I think he got into some spat with like Kathy Griffin, the comedian. Uh, <laughs> Where wow. she was making fun of his boob pictures or something. Who's so, the uh, who's hey, the uh, face of Jake, Antifa though? Jake, well, what's the deal? Like he just deleted his Facebook, right? Or has that or, or was that they zucked him? Uh, if I understand, as I have heard, anyway, they zucked him. Like how long ago? A few days before it happened. Before. I think. Uh, okay, before it happened. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was it was fo- preceding his arrest. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh I don't know if there's a connection. There very well may not be. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook has also been purging Boog-related pages, groups, profiles. Right. Yeah, we well, didn't pick out a topic. That's to be expected. But, but did you guys see that new notice from Facebook about their changing their terms of service, uh, I think in October, where they can pretty much, they said they pretty much can delete everything if they want. I don't know. Surprise, well, I mean, they could already that. do that. Yeah. I don't think there was anything new in that, um, but it is kind yeah. of just – they just get a little more obvious about it each time. They could already do that, but now they just want to like, they're just basically just saying, look, we're just going to delete whatever the fuck we want. Get used to it. Did you see the right? Ford it's Fisher like situation? Whole... No, like what's going the on with what? that? They, they deleted Ford Fisher's uh, account this week. And then he, oh. you know, Ford, Ford Fisher, if anybody Ford Fisher? doesn't know, Ford is an Fisher, independent, he, uh, independent journalist. Yeah, he's maybe one of the coolest independent journalists, if not the coolest. I mean, he, he's like really, exactly. really cool dude. He's always, Who does he write for? Uh, News to Share. Huh? News to Share is his page. Mm. It's like news, the number two. is covering uh, like Antifa versus the, the right wing, like Nazi street engagements well I, I, at the same time like so he's like been, an andy been, no type guy he's been doing this stuff for a while too 
Yeah, he yeah was he's, at the, he's a real he's a real journalist. He was at the Libertarian National Convention. That's where I met him in New Orleans in 2018. And uh, I, I don't know if he's a libertarian or not. I think he may have come out of sure the, Ron, the Ron Paul movement. But yeah, he's an independent journalist and he goes all over the country into these dangerous situations. And uh, he films these uh, confrontations between the far left and the far right. And so, you know, when you see a journalist uh, get taken down, that's like, it's it's not good. It, it, it didn't make me feel good. I was like, I, this is suppression. The, uh, what did they say was the cause for... Uh taking him down i don't i don't know he just made a now, uh, he's back up though he, Didn't he, he is I, it looked like he overturned it due to like a popular support like got it overturned am i right yeah he he put out a post or he he let on Only twitter we or some other uh social media platform it got shared around the libertarian sphere and a lot of people i guess messaged or emailed facebook and asked that his profile be restored so uh, that's amazing to me. That's amazing that that would work. I just expect incredible. him to be like, fuck, fuck you. Um, he has a blue gosh. check mark. Ooh. You know? Ooh. Yeah. Big time. So, so I mean, he's legit, man. Like if, if you want to see like real street footage of these incidents, half the time it's him filming it. He's got a helmet that says like press on the side. <laughs> well, and his, wow. his footage is often used, has been used in multiple documentaries and by news people. And it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, he's really getting, getting his work out there, um, mm. at yeah. often great personal risk. And I'm sure it's, it's not that lucrative and, um, difficult working conditions. He was at Charlottesville. I know that. Remember that. Yeah. You know. And he's, I mean, he's basically live streaming stuff all the time. Um, our friend Margaret Cecile, friend of the show, she basically is like watches his live stream like 24-7 just to like make sure he's not dead. Like, Jeez. <laughs> it, it puts me in an awkward position with the, uh, the social media censorship because, you know, I, I don't believe that free, free speech protections extend to social media because these are private servers. And uh, so I do think that Facebook can police their can police their platform, and they they obviously do. They have their community standards, and I think they're way too strict. But the point is, it's you know they're their servers. Um, but it, it does make me think like, is that the best position? You know, I I definitely don't like a journalist getting censored. Um, that that's not that that's not good. Let, let's let's face it: that the the Silicon Valley elites are collaborating with our enemies. Uh, or when I say and our enemies, I mean at least in terms of the anarchists over here. Like They're working the state, with the right. statists. Well, and here's but, the thing. Um, but let's face it. These guys are – they're collaborating with the enemy. They are the enemy. It, Facebook it, is, is, is a propaganda arm. It's a control mechanism. It's been bought, paid for, coerced, bribed, whatever the relationship is. I don't know, but it's effectively become whether it's a, a private vendor it doesn't really matter when they're when they're serving our enemy so effectively. Well, James, you and you kind of alluded to it, but they do get pressured by the government to, uh, you know, mark the false news. You know, which you guys, I'm sure, have seen on face. This gets marked as false. They're doing fact checking now, um, whole, and, look, and a lot it's of that's like, look, you guys are you are on board to to maintain the status quo. Got it. And you saw it when they dragged these guys before Congress and they started to like, we're going to, you know, you want us to regulate you? 
oh, no, 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 Massa. We're, we'll be good. We'll tell you everything. We'll give you all the, you know, like. Yeah, they were pressured um, for sure. Well, but it's kind of like, uh, or maybe it's like Lord of the Rings. You know, they're like, look, okay, Google, Facebook, Apple, you all get a ring. But there's one ring that rules them all. Don't forget, you know. And they're like, we'll take a ring. Yeah, get a, give us a ring, right? Like, can we get a ring? And they're like, yeah, give us a ring, right? But they're, they're, they have to obey the one ring, the, the one ring. So, yeah, well, everyone does. I mean, all businesses are subject to regulation and, and they, no one wants compliance issues and fines and fees and all that shit. So, you know, I, I'm, I hear what you're saying, but I I understand. But when Facebook, I mean, Facebook is at all, and Twitter, these uh, YouTube, these guys are at a whole new level of narrative shaping. Okay, and and shaping narrative is how you shape uh, dynasties. This is how you maintain power and control is by maintaining the narrative and, and communications. And they they mm -hmm. they had the old media. And they lost it control for a little while with new media. And they're like, fuck that. We got to get control again. Get that boy in here. Let him know who's boss. Yeah, the press like, is we'll let always. Him, we'll let him rule. He can, have his, he can have his ring and he can rule his kingdom. Just remind, let him know who he answers to. And he was like, oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Watch me. Watch. You know what? I'm, I'll stop the bad thing. Yes, I will. <laughs> it's I'll a little bit. bad thing. It's a little bit harder to control them than it is to, say, control the New York Times or Washington Post because you have thousands of individual users with all kinds of different ideas. And any, I've seen people, just normal people's uh, posts get shared a zillion times and just go viral. So uh, it, it right. really it, is it a wasn't different enough time, to, but It wasn't enough to put your CIA agent on the New York Times payroll, right? Like that was so simple back then. Right. right. Yeah, now, that's what I'm saying. Now yeah. they it's a lot more complicated. You're right. But but you're also I agree with you like this is the new press and part of remaining in control is controlling the press and making sure, you know. That's you why control new the technology, That's why new technologies are key whether it was the printing press mm -hmm. like allowed a new a new way of just you know of communicating right like and, and the printing press was a revolutionary tool um cable tv was a was you know was a was a was a revolution in terms of like anybody could get key tv ads on now instead of working with these big like tv channels or whatever yeah there's some great quotes, some great political quotes about the power of the press. I know the the pen is mightier than the sword is one that comes to my mind, but there's is there like a 1984 quote about that controlling the information? I don't know. I'm just trying to remember. But uh, anyway, I'm going to talk about That's, the uh, Well, to me, this is this is why we have a space force. Why do they need a space force to control communication satellites? Like, you, you know, when, when Starlink and, and other companies and foreign powers are putting these massive communications networks up there, wait a minute. Well, that's that why they don't necessarily need your Internet backbone. Whoa, well, that's whoa, whoa, why whoa luck, wait a minute. Luckily, the private sector is able to stay one step ahead of the government, typically. In fact, many steps ahead when it comes to technology, um, at least as far as their own internal innovations. But, you know, obviously the government is going to always try to play catch up, always try to figure out how to wedge itself in there and gain control. We just just have to keep staying ahead of them. What's right the on. next topic? Yeah, what's the next topic, Matt? 
Okay, so the next topic is um, the Lions of Liberty had on Dave Smith and Andy Craig, and they debated each other for about an hour. So who is Andy Craig? Andy Craig, he's a uh, he's a, a pragmatic libertarian. He, I believe he's one of the uh, he's one of the figures in the pragmatic caucus of the Libertarian Party. So he's also very SJWE. Um, and now, if you want to know, like, so okay, here's my relationship with Andy Craig. Like years ago, we were friends on Facebook, and then during uh, 2016. Bill Weld um, did some really fucked up shit. He said that he would uh, take away guns from people who were on like the terrorist watch list. And the problem is these people were put there, you know, without any sort of due process, you know, and uh, so pro-gun control. Yeah. I mean, he's a Bill Weld's a piece of shit. So I called out Bill. Oh, Weld oh, 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 definitely Bill Weld. But what about Andy Craig? So I called out Bill Weld on this and uh, Bill Weld, I'm no, I'm sorry. Uh, Andy Craig um, unfriended me on Facebook and stopped replying to me over it. And it was it was literally, you know, over Bill Well doing some fucked up shit. Well, according and to Andy his Craig bio was talking on Cato, about, like, he might have been he might have been working for Bill Weld. I'm looking at his Cato bio, staff writer for Cato Institute. I, I blah, believe blah, blah, he was. Yeah, he, he worked he, as a campaign's consultant and freelance writer, including for the presidential campaign of Gary Johnson and his running mate, Governor Bill Weld. Well, yeah, that's why I was talking to him about it. He studied political science at Hendricks College in Conway, Arkansas, and twice ran for political office as a candidate in Wisconsin. Yeah, this guy was working on the uh, on the Gary <laughs> Johnson 2016 campaign. He was a he was a Gary Johnson fluff boy. And then I was like, hey, well, what so about when Gary Bill Johnson Weld? needed a fluffer, he would be deployed. Pretty much. Gary Johnson would just be like, like fluff, fluff me, fluff me. Well, you know, and, and this or, guy or would, Bill, or would he fluff Bill Weld and Gary Johnson at the same time? We had th- this guy, he defended uh, everything Bill Weld did. And, you know, but I mean, you can say he's, he's working on the That's campaign. That's just being pragmatic. And, then, and it, so I, <laughs> I still have the, the conversations that I have with this guy. And, and uh, you know, when, when Bill Weld said something that was unlibertarian, he would refer to that as like a mess up. You know what I mean? Like he made a mistake. And it's like, I'm just like, no, dude. It's like you kind of like you're asked these questions and it's like, whoops, accidentally said something status. No, I mean, it's just like it, it, this is like a no brainer, dude. You know, it, it's it's Bill Weld is is not as great on firearms. It's not, it's not firearms freedom as you. Right. It's not it's not forgetting Aleppo. It's saying like. Yeah, we should take all the guns first or whatever. Speaking of Bill Weld, did you guys hear he he endorsed Biden this week? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm vouching for I'm vouching for Biden. Is that yeah. what he said? Yeah, right. And I, I bet you who doesn't want to talk about that? It's probably Andy Craig because he was sucking that dude's dick all the way to like election night. Maybe Andy. Do you think Andy Craig wrote the speech uh, um, endorsing Hillary? For for Bill Weld, when Bill Weld went on that important, right? it was like Bill Weld's most important interview, like media appearance as a libertarian candidate, and he took the whole time to talk about how wonderful Hillary was. Did Andy Craig write that speech, or did Bill Weld come up with that on his own? Yeah, that's a that's a great question for uh, Andy. You know, maybe we should have him on and ask him. 
So but, I, uh, I listened to the first half of it. Matt, did you did you listen to the whole thing? Yeah, I listened to the entire debate. Um, Dave Smith just like uh, really he crushed. What did it. they debate? Number one. It's I mean well basically like so there have been some like some Twitter beefs between uh, Andy Craig and Dave Smith, and it, it's kind of like you know um, Andy Craig pulls shit that um, pulls shit that Dave Smith said out of context. And then just like totally um, think, just goes full retard on wasn't it. Wasn't the topic like is Dave Smith uh, sympathetic to the alt right or something like that? Yeah, right? it was something like that. Yeah, like, does Dave Smith pander Dave Smith to alt-right the alt right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Well, I'm gonna look for that because I think Dave Smith does pander to the alt right. So I'll, I'll be curious to see. Uh, he definitely has like said it's okay to be like pro borders and stuff, and he's open minded with this. You know, these different views that that horrible status have. So yeah, his his border stuff has been pretty whack. Yeah, it, it wasn't. The part I listened to was very uh, was interesting, and um, you know he brought up the quote, which I actually remember from when uh, Dave Smith interviewed um, Chris Cantwell, and he said he's sympathetic to the alt right. And on this debate, Andy was specifically like, "Well, what did you mean by that? What do and you then, mean you're sympathetic to the alt right?" And Dave Smith clearly explained it. He did explain it, and um, I'm not sure 100% by his explanation, but he said that um, he is sympathetic in the fact that they oppose both the um, the SJW left and the neoconservatives. So he feels, uh, you know, you we have the same enemies, and that was where why he's sympathetic, and and that I agree is a, is an acceptable answer. Stick, I just don't know he if that just stick to making jokes. No, that's retarded. He should just make jokes, and uh, hopefully he'll go full libertarian at some point. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think Dave Smith is uh, just about as libertarian as you can be, in my opinion. I don't know. Until until it's time to tip the hat to his Mises betters and people that he feels that he has to bow to that are completely pro-borders and fucking pro-government at the border. So you, you gotta, at some point you got to decide which team you're on. You know, and it's last I heard, he was he wasn't sure which team he was on. If he decides to come full freedom and denounce those those bordertarians and the hop the the Hans Hermann hop of crowd or whatever, I'll I will applaud him and he'll be my new favorite comedian. Um, I hope he gets there. It's funny we all Let's have on a, the an issue or two where it's like I I you know can't deal with the guy because of that or or what have you. Um, I, he, I just you know did, and, I'm, <laughs> he's just early on his I just think he's early on his path and he hasn't really got all the way there. Yeah. And um and, and I'd say he's too anarchist. Right. He doesn't love government enough, right? Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the hard that's the hard part for status is getting just the right amount of government. Like yeah. it's like whoa, whoa, no, that's too much freedom. Whoa, whoa, that's too much government. We're like, we got to really, we're really going to dial this in because we because we're so good at this. Yeah, um, Kyle, would you say you're kind of like a just the tip of government kind of bro? Um, yeah, just that's about right. Yeah, just the right amount. Just very little. Mostly leave us alone unless there's, uh, you know, somebody's really causing a problem, you know. Why would they thrust forward? They never do. Well, they do. I mean, that's that's the great challenge in politics is keeping them in their box. So, uh, question: Out of anybody who listened to this podcast, does anybody think that Andy Craig won? Or, I mean, who do you think won this uh, debate? 
of course, of course, he Andy Craig lost because it well, sounds yeah, like even even like that's he, one thing, like even though the other he, guy might not be the greatest libertarian, he's got to be way better than some kind of Bill Weld cocksucker. Well, I mean, that, that's one of the things you. Gonna, <laughs> and then if you're going to give Dave Smith anything, you got to give him that he's an extremely smart dude, and he's, he's an excellent debater. And he's funny, and he's a trained yep. entertainer, and he knows how to work an audience, and yeah, he's, he's, a, he's great. a professional. He's great. Right? He's great. Andy, All I don't day, know what you know? Andy. What's Andy Craig? A political consultant? I don't know what that he's a, means. He's a whiny bitch. It's like stage chops, right? But uh, Dave actually Smith did has watch got the stage stuff. experience. Who did yeah, watch? I'm going to watch it. I, I, I just I, listened to I, the I listened first to the whole half. Thing. There's not video. There's not video as far as I know. Or sorry, listened. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a podcast. This is on Lions of Liberty, right? Yeah, yeah. Just, you go go on YouTube, Lions of Liberty, Andy Craig. Except for wait until after this podcast is over. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking interrupt yeah. this podcast. Yeah, so <laughs> swear to God. I mean, I I think he has some some valid points as far as uh, reaching out to the alt right. I mean, certainly even hosting Chris Cantwell, you could point at, you could say is a little bit of pandering to the alt right or giving them a platform and, and take exception to that. Why would you I host mean, Chris Cantwell in his in his current format? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying when he was an anarchist, but like, if you're if you're giving current Chris Cantwell a microphone, then yeah, you're probably sympathetic to the alt right. Well, that I mean, that's Dave's wouldn't point. Is funny though, just to have him on to argue with him. Yeah, that's Dave's point. Is I'm just having him on and not sympathetic with him, but I don't have to agree with everything every guest says. You know, he was, and at this time, it was when Chris Cantwell was in the media as an as a leader of the alt right kind of figure. But I mean, would you agree, I, Kyle, that the optics are just not great on that? I uh, yeah, I do agree. And maybe kinda. he just doesn't I mean, give a fuck about optics, which is fine. But, but you, you know, you know, notice notice it's never the alt right or the far left that's inviting anarchists and principled right. libertarians into their alt right events to to just to shout just to show how we're wrong. No, no, it never works the other way around. It's always no. some asshole who think, and then the excuse is made later, like, no, we just want to. You know, we're going to, we want to show all points of view and then we'll denounce it. No, you don't hand somebody a microphone who ha who, who's your enemy. Okay. I'm sorry. That's just retarded. Okay. You want to denounce him? You do it. You do, you use your microphone to denounce him. He can bring his own microphone to make his point of view, right? Like you, you want to debate, fine, debate on a, on a, on a fair platform on someone else's thing, like meet them on their battlefield. You don't invite them into the house and then act like, you know, now you're, we're going to, we're going to show you where you're wrong after we're, we've invited you to dinner and, I, I and think giving you a platform. Yeah, I think you can invite somebody, but it has to be with the context of he's coming here to argue. This is a debate. Okay, this is not a friendly uh, interview. This is uh, this is going to be an argument kind of thing. Um, that would be like someone on Fox having someone from MSNBC on to actually debate, and that it makes it clear that you two are on opposite sides. Uh, whereas when you bring him on as a guest and you're friendly toward him and say things like "I'm sympathetic to the alt right," it's very easy for people to misconstrue that as though you're you were part of the alt-right or you agree with more as you're sympathetic to the art. Right, uh, they might think you're sympathetic to the alt-right. Exactly. If you say yeah. that, that would be, a, you know, <laughs> and, and Dave Smith said, uh, I can think of one thing he said, I disagreed with where he said like, he thinks the alt-right is over and it's dead. And I'm like, 
I, I, you know, he's like, well, they had their big moment in Charlottesville, and after that, that was oh, it. I mean, look, yet, what is the alt right? I mean, what is the alt right? I mean, we're, well, we're basically talking about problem. right. It's like it might be over, but like the ideas of you know white supremacy or whatever, you know, I, they have some weird ideas about like you know Western culture and all this kind of shit. And uh, ethno nationalism, whatever, all that. This you is know, not that's a, not going anywhere. Might get called something new, but it's been exactly. around forever right yeah exactly. how do you define it as a is another hard part of that problem what is the alt-right you know and i mean um I, you guys said some of the things white supremacy and nationalism uh social conservatism some of social conservatism although i saw somebody posted a picture on my facebook of a trump flag that it said uh and then it said the f word at the bottom it said trump 2020 f yeah or something like that or f your feelings that's what it said but it was completely spelled out and I was like, man, you know, that's pretty brazen to put a, prof you know, profanity on a flag like that, um, you know. But, for you've a got a, but you've got a president that says grab him by the pussy. So Yeah, but he said that behind closed is, doors. I'm just saying conservatives would never, a true conservative would never feel comfortable flashing the f Yeah, but not around. all of his supporters are true conservatives. Yeah. I mean, remember yeah. in the last election, he was making dick jokes and stuff. I mean, like. No, I, I, think, I don't think I don't think the conservative remember was like talking about his small hands and then he was like, you know, like, like, well, you know, you know, you know, people don't say, you know, they mentioned my small hands and that's not fair. And then and, uh, you know, but there's no problem down there. And that's for sure. And, and like he's talking about his dick. And stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, I could see him sweet. saying that. OK, so are, are conservatives really going to get out of whack? because Somebody says, fuck, yeah. Like, no, like. <laughs> yeah. It said, F your feelings. Jake, Jake, you haven't said much. I mean, how, do you have, what do you think the, the alt-right means? I associate the alt-right with pretty much the same things listed. Uh, you know, ethno-nationalism, a strong element of collectivism. Uh, you know, it's we as the nation versus the world as opposed to me as an individual or opposed to as the world together as a society. Uh, you know, strong immigration. On, say it again. Anti-immigration? Yeah, yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a safe, safe thing to say. So and I think I, there's different versions of the alt-right in different places. For example, uh, I think there are alt-righty things in Europe that are slight tweaks from the American version. For example, you know, you've got a lot of American alt-righty kind of hatred towards Mexicans in particular, and I think the European version of that is Muslims and Africans. Yeah, I agree. There's always somebody, there's always the other. The other. It could have been, depending on your time and place, it could have been Italians. It could have, you know, like whatever it was. Oh, it Those depends other. on your geography. You know, who's yeah. coming in, right? right? For the America, the that's, right, that's the Hispanics. time period. You know, it's Hispanics is, coming it, into America. One, but one point it was the, you know, those lazy Irish or, or, you know, the, or Asians or this, it's always a, every time period has their version. So I, I would not say the alt-right is dead. I, my, my Facebook group has seen an influx of uh, far-right commenters and far-right posters. And I've gotten, you know, some pushback from that. And, uh, and you know, Do you say I you're like, sympathetic to them? I no, but I like to argue with them. I like to. <laughs> I just get so bored with having the same conversations all the time. I like to argue with everybody. I guess 
some one element where I, I do see some alignment is in crime. I, I really am sick of crime. I think crime's a major problem everywhere, especially in Baltimore City. And uh, they're often critical of that, and I'm like, yeah, I agree with that. I, I too am sick of this. What uh, is, well, what are what are the what are the proposed status solutions? More cops, more beatings. Most likely, yeah. I mean, I, I, I have a like a bigger picture. I mean, I, I know that this a lot of this stems from poverty. You know, we have we have a system that's very broken, and we have a lot of poverty. And when you have poverty, crime comes along with it. You know, I understand that there's an economic incentive to get into selling drugs, you know, because that's the best way to make money. Um, you know, we've created that as their best avenue to get rich. So that's what that's what happens. And then you and then you end up with gang wars and you end up with people fighting police over drugs and all that. So I, I, I what's see your, that. What's your status? What's your status solution to the crime problem? I would legalize drugs for starters. Um, because that would take away all their, their profits. That would take, take all the money out of the drug market, and then they would have to find gainful employment. And I would get rid of minimum wage so that they could find gainful employment. It might not pay a lot, but it'll pay a little bit. And uh, let's see, what else? Those, uh, like, those kind of sound like anarchist ideas. I was wondering. Well, they're not anarchist ideas. They're, they are they're, libertarian they're, in general and could be either. Yeah, I mean, either they're, they're public policy. Say these things. But abolishing, yeah. abolishing stuff. It's changing. It's changing the the It's changing the policies that the government's following. You know, right? Stopping, uh, like abolishing government things like the drug war and and yeah. uh, minimum wage. These are moving in the direction of anarchy. What about uh, what about welfare, Kyle? Yeah, I was gonna, that was going to be my next one. I mean, I really struggle with that. I understand it, but when you have these people that have kids that are reliant on that money as their only way to get food. I don't know how you pull the rug out like overnight. I would love to get rid of it. Um, I just you have to practically figure out a way to wind down, maybe a grandfathering in or something. But once people are dependent, uh, it's I just see it as being very uh, cruel. It's it's hard to yeah cruel. It's hard to just say okay you're now going to lose your income, and you who are a single mother with multiple children have to figure out how to feed these kids tomorrow with no money. I don't know how that happens. So right, I don't Kyle, know how you, yeah. I'll make you a deal. How about this? So what about, what if we, we get rid of the entire welfare state instantly right now, do away with the whole thing, no grandfathering in, no more taking people's money for the welfare state, but the very same time, open the markets way up by simply getting rid of, rid of the hundreds of thousands of arbitrary barriers to entry in the market. All of the government red tape, everything from the zoning laws to the massive regulations across the entire private sector. Just get rid of all of the barriers to entry so you have a robust free market in which the value of labor is greatly increased and such because you've got more competition, more employers competing for employees and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, yes, get rid of the minimum wage, but you increase kind of the natural minimum wage because there'd be, you know, so much higher demand for labor. So we, we get rid of the welfare state, but also free markets across the board. And that way that single mom or whatever who has been dependent uh, on the welfare system can earn, you know, by peaceful consensual means. And that's what Kyle was kind of <clears throat> getting at with the uh, getting rid of minimum wage, right? Yeah. Because if she can get in there and, and start making, although, you know, going to be hard to feed kids on minimum wage or lower, but uh, forget know. minimum wage with that level of prosperity. I think the, these uh, problems would last about a week 
until like people figured out how to get their their newly found prosperity into the hands of the of the people that were like left out of their government welfare program that really sure. needed it. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, it might even take like one day, like because people would become instantly so prosperous. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just uh, yeah, suddenly I, you could I take like care the dream. Of everybody on your block. <laughs> I like the dream. I just I just know that there are uh, a handful of people in society that really really struggle uh even even in the perfect world they're going to struggle they have mental uh, that's right. uh incapacity and and mental difficulties and physical physical problems and but you have a much more gonna, effective they're going to need our help they're right. going to need our help and this overwhelming prosperity that we're experiencing to Kyle. make sure that we have the resources to take care of them too. right and well, and it's not that the safety net's going to disappear it's just going to be replaced by the private sector right it's going to be even if you have the idea communities and individuals transitioning into having, a safety net yeah it's still it still takes time having, to transition instead guys, of having the governor of Pennsylvania and a host of bureaucrats decide um, what who needs like assistance um, we can all uh, everyone would be better equipped to take care of everyone in their own lives and in their own communities. And um, the chance of the aid getting to where it's actually needed would probably be about a hundredfold, right? Because it's, it's not a government thing. It's just people like seeing like, holy shit, that person really needs help or no, that person needs a kick in the ass. Mm -hmm. um, it's much easier to be done on a very, on a local level than it is at a, at a central political position. So, um, but that kind of prosperity would, would just make it so much easier. And I think we all have, we all want to take care of the people on our block or in our building or, or in our family or in our, you know, the, just the people we know, like, um, right. And Kyle, it's, it's, you know, I think from experience, we know that gradualism really doesn't work that well, especially when you're getting rid of government things. Right. We, we haven't even made a step toward in that direction. Right, exactly. You know? So it's much so, easier. I mean, it's mu it'd probably be much easier, at least uh, for something to have some longevity, to just cut it, you know, just well, cut the it. The alternative is it, it might get cut on its own. The money can just run out suddenly, well, and, then well. no, and then there's no – and then what happens? Well, the, 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 go right? the, the Federal Reserve no, can create unlimited no money. landing. Yeah. But it's not necessarily going to end up in the state coffers and the local coffers and everybody, you know, there's so many hands out. It's mm -hmm. such a freaking leaky bucket. And even, and even the printing press, ha you know, could, could trigger hyperinflation or something could make that no longer viable or the, the U S dollars no longer the reserve currency that it is today. Um, the future is, is completely unwritten. Right. So mm -hmm. any of these scenarios could cause a, a, a stoppage in 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 these welfare payments. And when you've got a whole culture that is um, built on entitlements, they're going to it's going to be it's going to be very dangerous for everybody involved, for the people dependent and for the people that are around them that have resources. Um, so it's better to it's better to flip off these welfare programs now when we when we can be prosper enough to help them that rather than in the middle of a, a government collapse or fiscal crisis right. that's already got everybody freaked out and vulnerable. And Kyle, I wanted to throw out that the fact that you posit a concern about, you know, the disabled and such, those who truly need help, the fact that you bring this up 
inherently demonstrates the demand for it. And people bring it up all the time, which uh, right. leads you to believe that they care about it. And they would rather, for example, patronize companies that do help those in need than those who don't. Especially if you took taxes out of the equation, preferably to me 100%, but even in your world, like 90 or 95 or so, uh, if you take at least the great bulk of taxes out of the equation, that creates, I think, uh, or could create a much more competitive realm between businesses, including huge ones, to demonstrate that they're, that patronizing their business is doing something good, you know, patro or donating to causes that their consumer base might like. And yeah, I, I like agree. Helping the needy, those who can't work or orphans or whatever, that's pretty universal. Well, I do think that welfare crowds out voluntary charity. You know, people think, well, you've already taken my money and you're already giving it to the poor, so why should I donate? Right. Because my responsibility I'm already paying. is abdicated. Yeah, and and I totally get that, and uh, you know, I'm maybe you're maybe you're right, and you got and you could shut it, you could turn off the checks tomorrow, and you could say, hey, all these Section Eight people, you know, next month you are on your own to make rent, so your Section Eight is cut off, and uh, and and maybe that quickly could turn around. I really don't know. Well, let's uh, um, let's let's explore that for a second. Well, that's one possibility, one program, right? So now what do you think would happen if Section 8 disappeared overnight? Now the landlords are, you've got landlords, tenants, and government checks, okay? So, okay, no more Section 8, okay, all right. Now there's deals with land, now the landlords, some are gonna negotiate with their tenants, right? And they're gonna be like, look, I'm, not, I'm no longer getting that Section 8 check. If you wanna live here, I need $200 a month. Do you wanna live here? And they're like, all right, I'll give you 200 a month. Right, and they move forward, or they don't, and they're evicted, right, and they go somewhere else. Um, I think in most cases, though, there's the, all the incentives point to why don't we work it out? Somebody's going to come up with some affordable housing, right? That's like that these people can afford, right? Because the landlord's going to lose if everybody if, if everybody's evicted. Well, and also right. if you if you if you lowered restrictions on so in Baltimore there's a rule right where there's I mean there's tons of abandoned houses in in the city, and there is a rule where you cannot buy up these properties that are completely disheveled, completely like unlivable. You can buy them up for like a dollar, but you actually have to live in that neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. So I mean, Why? obviously, someone that's yeah, someone that's <laughs> capable of investing in these properties is not going to want to live. In, in a fucking, you know, ghetto, basically. But, you know, there are people that, like you said, might get kicked out of their, their Section 8 housing in that scenario that this guy could easily just just buy a bunch of these up, put very little investment into them, and, and provide homes. But, you know, government uh, red tape and restrictions prevent that sort of thing from happening. So, you know, it kind of – all this stuff kind of has to happen together or else, yeah, I mean, it's not going to be – it's not going to be good, but, you know – the free market has to be the free market. It can't be the half free market or the quarter free market. I, I think the period of adaptation, I mean, we are, we're talking about a fantasy anyway. Of it's course. not like there's some <laughs> yes. magic switch in the sky that you flip it and, right? But, um, you, know, th you know, presumably if, if something like Section 8 goes down, it's not going to just suddenly go down. It's going to be talked about. It's going to be debated. There's going to be um, people reviewing the situation. If you're on Section 8, you'll probably have a year's notice. You know, like 
it's not like there's going to be some light switch going off. So, right. um, but I think, I think the ability to actually adapt and to, to turn into a much positive, much more positive situation would be almost instantaneous. It would be require such little period to adapt that everyone involved would almost immediately reap benefits, better quality housing, better relationships with landlords, better deals for landlords, better, better places to live, more places to live, cheaper places to live. Um, you know, everyone would end up winning very quickly. That's a rosy view. I, I'm not sure. A lot of these Section 8 recipients would not be able to afford anything nearly well, uh, as nice as what they're getting from Section 8, but let's let's move on. I mean... Um, yeah, we're going to move on to the After Hours program. So if you, right. you want to hang out over, over with us uh, at After Hours, um, hit us up at patreon.com and contribute a minimum of $1 per month and you'll gain access to our After Hours program. Uh, this podcast is also brought to you in part by Conversations About Freedom podcast, hosted by Moral Bob. We have t-shirts for sale at libertariancountry.com. If you enter in the code PRL, you'll receive a 10% discount. If you spend $50 or more and use the code PRL2, you'll receive a 20% discount. Until next time, live free or die. Wasn't by a few at the expense of the many So did the cards and the machine You can't justify killing by economic gain For God, country, and democracy You can put freedom in that point in a fine land You support the truth, then bring them home I believe the jokes will do the best for you And I believe that we have the power Have the power Not aggression principle, the violence of the state becomes obsolete!